When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast season review of the 2018-19 season. We finished the last episode talking uh, in a very depressed uh, state about the the board. Um, some interesting comments on Oligan and Solskjaer and whether we should uh, whether we should bite the bullet and instead go for Pochettino and various other things. So if you haven't listened to that yet, listen to that first. But this is part two of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast season review and we're talking transfers, awards, our predictions for next season and we're giving you a summary of the academy teams, the under-18s and under-23s as well as the women's teams and how our loan players have done this season. Some very impressive loan performances from uh, Dean Henderson and Axel Twanzebe in particular involved in championship promotion bids. But first, um, we'll start on a lighter note than we did in the, in the first part of the season review talking about um, a few awards. Um, I don't know which one we should start. We should probably start with uh, best game to give it a, a nice light feel to start the second part. Um, and I was actually trying to think about this and I couldn't decide. The The very obvious choice, Jack, is Paris Saint-Germain 3-1. And, and I think we both have to say that that is the best game of our season. But I was trying to think what was actually my favourite game. And it, it, I think your favourite game is usually one you've been to. And I think... I mentioned this in the in the in the first part of of the season review. The Southampton three two, and it was during that immense run and, and Old Trafford. The atmosphere was just absolutely sensational, and, and Southampton got a couple back, went in front, and then United still managed to turn it around. And just watching, particularly because I was sat in the press box as well, so I wasn't in the moment celebrating. Instead, I was watching kind of this just immense joy kind of erupt around me with the Stretford end to my left. Um, the East stand to my right and the away fans kind of sat sunk, sinking into their seats on the, on the right as well. So I think Southampton 3-2 is my favourite game and PSG the best game. Yeah, I mean PSG is of course the obvious choice for the best game. Probably followed by uh, the 2-1 win against Juve in Turin. In terms of my favourite game, that's a tough one. Um, I unfortunately haven't been able to get to any games in quite a while because I've been at uni and not in the same country. Um, but... <laughs> 
I think for me, watching uh, from from afar, probably my favourite game was. There's a couple actually, either beating Arsenal in January at the end of January um, at the Emirates or beating Spurs at Wembley. I think those two games were right in the middle of that just amazing period for at the start of Ollie Ollie's reign and was the first time he'd really been tested against a big side you know that all the main yeah. the main criticism of, of his first few months were that yeah we were playing bad teams we're playing mainly uh, relegation threatened teams and mid-table teams and they were the first time we played genuinely big sides and put in very very good performances um and I sh- the, the goal against Spurs Rashford's goal was a perfect example of everything that we'd been working on the sort of resurgence of Marcus Rashford into this phenomenal goal scoring striker for a month or so Pogba pulling the strings in midfield and that goal, yeah, that goal was probably my favorite goal yeah. that we scored scored this season um and I think purely because of that I'll go with with the one nil win against Spurs as my my favorite game yeah Spurs I remember I, I did the press box for that and I remember going into it with a few a few notes on my phone and in, in a little notepad and thinking the, the the big story was will Oligan Solskjaer manage to to win a big game will he manage to outdo Mauricio Pochettino who was then the favourite for the Manchester United job and you came away from it just thinking this is the man for the job Marcus Rashford is is performing at an extremely high level Pogba is playing with freedom and, and that goal summed it all up and it was fantastic um, and it being at Wembley as well as much as I as much as I hate Wembley at the same yeah. time going to Wembley still still brilliant um, and yeah, Arsenal, I think Chelsea in the cup. Was also the, the, the other game, brilliant yeah, game. I was just about to say Chelsea in the cup. Yeah, was my other my other contender. And I wasn't actually there. I've, I think I was watching it in Leeds, which was um, a bit of a strange experience. Um, but the the away end at Stamford Bridge was looked absolutely amazing as well. So there's a bit there. Uh, we said this at the start of the of, of part one. It's just there have been some truly brilliant um, moments this season. And, and as you said, Juventus two one, Marin Fellaini popping up with a late winner and tables going flying in, in this bar in Turin was, was fantastic as well. Um, best player, um, we've got a few contributions from Twitter from this. I'll start with uh, Colin at Rojanaldo who says, it has to be Pogba despite him being the most criticised player. Now, United's best player this season is Paul Pogba and I don't have too much doubt in saying that. Um, I think 13 goals overall, 9 assists and forgetting that just he has been the player who has contributed probably the most. And yet at the same time, because of his attitude sometimes, because of the stories floating around sometimes, and because he's underperformed quite a lot and has been incredibly inconsistent, it's hard to call him United's player of the season. I would say, in terms of what you said about Pogba being the best player in a United shirt this season, I would say Pogba has put in the best performances in a United shirt this season. I'm not sure whether I would say he's been our best player based on how inconsistent he's been. Because to me, to be named player of the season or, or best player of the year, you have to have been producing consistently over the course of the entire season. So I would say, yes, Pogba has has produced the individual performances that have been at the highest level of any United player for certain performances. However, I don't think he's been our best player over the course of the season because he, he performed at that level for two months. And after that, everything everything kind of fell apart, just as it had done at the start of the season as well. Uh, so for me, the, the the other the other contenders for me would be Lindelof and Shaw, who of course won uh, won United's actual Player of the Season award. Any other any other contenders for you? Shaw sure, Shaw sure would be my least 
no, Shaw would be my least bad, yeah, least bad player of the season. Um, I wouldn't give him player of the season. I, Lindelof, yeah. Um, David um, says on Twitter, best player from start to finish was Lindelof, but if there was a category for most reliable player, he'd go with McTominay. Uh, Stuart Lambert also said Lindelof. Um, I think if I was voting, which I didn't, because um, it's a complete farce anyway, um, that for the Man United Player of the Year awards, I would have voted for Victor Lindelof. Um, and if, if Marouane Fellaini was an option, I probably would have gone with Marouane Fellaini. Um, who performed pretty well in his final six months as a Manchester United player and gave us yeah, a, a really, magical really match win. Genuinely, I, I genuinely think Marin Fellaini was probably United's best player this season. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty uh, pretty shocking thing to have to say. I think, as you said, I also didn't vote exactly, it, and he didn't play for the half. Yeah, yeah. I think I also I also didn't vote, but if I was voting, definitely would have been Lindelof for me. The only reservation I have is that it feels it feels weird and a bit wrong to be voting for a defender as our player of the year when we've just conceded the most goals we've ever conceded in what was it, <laughs> the last 40 years. Um, so, yeah, I don't yeah. know. It, it's strange to be calling a, a defender our best player of the season when we've just come off the off, off of that. But I think he has been the most consistent player on the team. He's been the one player that pretty much every single game you could rely on him putting in a good performance. For me, Shaw was a, a strange choice as as consistent as he's been I don't think he's been amazing for the majority of the season he makes too many mistakes for my liking and he's been he's been good going forward but defensively there's still a lot to work on um but I think that speaks more to how poorly the majority of our squad has played rather than Shaw's level really there was just a very there was a, a real lack of options yeah it's probably a good opportunity to speak about um two other attackers Rashford and Lukaku both of whom you would think going into the start of the season and at points through the season you would think would be contenders for player of the season. Rashford first, um, the last, the back end of the season, it's just, his movement has looked so bad um, and he stopped running in behind. He's, he's way more of those long shots dipping with the Ronaldo technique and he's he's got that Martial curse of wanting to receive the ball to feet every time and that's not when Martial and Rashford are at their best. And that's got to change going into the next season. But Rashford and Lukaku, your thoughts on them, given that they come the end of the season, two players who should have been in contention most certainly weren't. Well, yeah, go back to the Spurs game we were just talking about. And at that point, it looked like Rashford was pretty much a shoo-in for our player of the season if he carried on that form until the end of the year. It's been a strange, strange couple of months for Rashford because, like you said, everything that he's normally so great at, mainly his off-the-ball movement, just hasn't hasn't been the same at all. And I really don't know what's gone on there to make that happen. For me, Lukaku is one of the biggest... This is probably strange because I, I, he, is, he hasn't been a star every week. But for me, Lukaku is probably the biggest disappointment from this season. Because based on what he did at the end of last year and then the World Cup that he had, I genuinely thought we were going to see a very, very good season from, from Lukaku. I, I'm sure I remember us talking about this at the, at the start of the season because... We saw some real, real, impro- real, real improvements from him at the end of last season. On the ball, he was so much better, so much more composed. The one game that I remember distinctly was uh, the game against the two-all draw away against Leicester last season when Lukaku didn't score, but I'm pretty sure he assisted both goals. And he, he was brilliant in the entire game. And that was a real watershed moment for him in terms of being so much more comfortable on the ball and looking like he could be a much more all-round striker than just the sort of bulldozer and, and clinical finisher that he was uh, at Everton and in, in the first half of his first season at United and then the back end of this season has been even worse than he was at the start of last last year because 
On the ball, he looks as bad as ever. His first touch is truly shocking without wanting to just bring up, you know, the classic meme that's always used against Lukaku. His first touch genuinely has been awful. For the vast majority of the season, he, he, he hasn't even been the clinical finisher that, that, we, that we're used to seeing. Go back to the start, the start of the year when he was missing open goals for fun for the vast majority of the season. His movement is poor. He looks unfit. You know, I saw Gary Neville talking about this a uh, couple of weeks ago where Lukaku makes one sprint and looks like he's completely finished. And, you know, that, that's, that can't be right. He just he doesn't look fit. Rashford is just a, a, a really, really weird case. I don't really know what's going on. The only thing I can think of is that the ankle injury that he picked up, when, when was it? What was it against? Was it against Liverpool he picked up the ankle injury? I think it was, wasn't it? Uh, when Rashford. he had to stay on for the rest of the game, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, yeah. the only thing I can think of is that he never quite recovered from that because he was rushed back very quickly. And it, it just seems like a really, really strange turn of, uh, of fortunes for him because it, it, it kind of came out of nowhere, really. Yeah, um, you've got to hope that he won't have a fully restful summer. In fact, he may, may not have a summer at all because if United end up in the Europa League qualifying stages, then the England players will play in the Nations League at the start of June. Um, and then by kind of, I think, mid-July, United will have to start start playing their season. Um, we should carry on with the awards, um, move on to uh, goal of the season, uh, keep things positive for now before we talk about worst, worst game of the season, which there are many, many candidates. Goal of the season, um, I think in United's official one there, a, a few was just, you could tell it had been a bad season without huge moments of and, and good goals, because there were a few which you just thought, those are good goals, but they're not like Lingard against Arsenal, which was a good counter-attacking goal, a good finish, but clearly isn't a goal of the season. Um, in the end, I, I think I would go with Anthony Martial against Fulham um, when he kind of followed in Ruud van Nistelrooy's footsteps and dribbled from the halfway line and, and netted at Craven Cottage. Uh, fantastic goal. Andreas Pereira against Southampton from long range was fantastic as well. And Pogba in, early in the season in the Champions League against Young Boys when... Um, Lovely footwork, passed it off, received the the one-two back, and then kind of with the ball kind of underneath his feet, just chopped it into the into the top left corner. Um, but Martial against Fulham, I think, was my favourite goal of the season. This was a this was a really really hard category. I'm I'm sitting here right now as you were saying that, and I was trying to think of potential contenders other than those than those three, and I, I really can't. There was not many memorable goals at all for for most of the season. My favourite goal, I've already said, was was Rashford's against Spurs at Wembley. In terms of, of what I think was the best goal, for me, it, for me, it comes down to either Pereira or Pogba against Young Boys or Pereira against Southampton. I would probably lean more towards Pogba against Young Boys because I, I think the interplay around it and, and the quality of the of the finish. I think the finish was a lot harder than Pereira's was against Southampton. So. I'll go for Pogba against Young Boys, but yeah, like you said, there really, <laughs> there really aren't a, a whole bunch of, of goals to, to choose from. Um, right, worst game of the season. Uh, let's take things down a notch. Um, initial things that I thought of for this was West Ham 3-1, Everton 4-0, Cardiff 2-0, and then there were two slightly more niche ones, um, which I'll leave until, until just a second. On uh, instant reaction, what do you think the worst game of the season was? I mean, it's got to be Everton four 0 Surely that yeah. that was one of the worst performances I've, I've ever seen from 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 United. Genuinely, just awful, awful performance. Yeah, I think that's probably the worst game I've seen as a United fan. But at the same time, I think the West Ham game when we the transfer window had closed early for the first time ever um, in in kind of the, the the current format of football. The transfer window had closed before the start 
of the season. Um, United hadn't signed a centre-back and uh, all this coverage, Mourinho had been really grumpy in pre-season and United, he played like McTominay in, in defence and United just got absolutely trounced by West Ham and were lucky to, to lose 3-1 um, in just a, a terrible, terrible performance. So that was kind of... But I guess Everton was... I, I might see Everton as worse because we had hope going into that game that we still might get top four, whereas West Ham, I think, even though it's the start of the season, we hadn't really begun yet, um, you still felt like just this season, there's nothing there. Um, and we were just, we were just wait, waiting for Reno to be sacked. I think for me, the West Ham game was worse in terms of what it signified because, you know, it, it did kind of cut, sum up everything that had been wrong over the summer of Jose being so grumpy and not signing a centre-back and all of our worst fears coming true. But I think in terms of the actual game on its own, the Everton game, for me, well, just can't be can't be surpassed. Yeah, and then the two other ones I was thinking of were the Chelsea 1-1, again, because of the, the hope and the and the timing in the season, um, and more the moment that De Gea yeah. dropped it in rather than the game itself. And the other moment rather than game that I was thinking of is uh, when Young just gave the ball away against Barca and they, they scored. After that good start at the, at the new camp and... Yeah, that was just it's such a such a gutting moment and the second goal as well. Um, so those two are probably up there for for worst moments of the season rather than games. Yeah, I was I was thinking of of that Barca game actually, it, but it, it, I, I was I was thinking of the Barca game just because it was such a disappointment. But I find it hard to to put that on the same level as like Everton or Cardiff or West Ham just because I didn't deep down I didn't really expect us to win. Yeah. Um, so I find it hard to put it in that category, but. That was that was probably the most gutted that I felt throughout the season, just because of how well we started, and and also just the extent to which it showed me how far behind Europe's best we actually are. It was a it was kind of, it was a proper blow to the stomach. Um, just you kind of sat there after that game, just in in genuine pain. Um, right, uh, we're going to move on to uh, the roundup of the academy and uh, the women's team and the lone players. So starting with the under-18s in the academy, the under-18s uh, finished fourth in the in the under-18 Premier League, but overall a, a very good season. Um, at under-19 level officially, they, they won their group in the UEFA Youth League for the first time in United's history, and they did it with five wins from the six games in a tough group, including Juventus and Valencia. Um, and though they were knocked out by FC Midtjylland, um, a little throwback there in the knockout round, they lost 3-1. It's the most successful run in the competition in United's history. And, and a big success. Chong, Gomez, O'Connor, Traore, Burkhart, Greenwood, all playing on a, on a European stage, and that's invaluable experience. And a few months later, Greenwood and Chong uh, would be playing in the Champions League too, but we, we didn't see that at the time. On a domestic level, United finished fourth in the under-18 Premier League. Many of the best players at, at this age group were promoted to the under-23s, i.e. Garner and Greenwood, uh, about halfway through the season. And those two, plus a few others, often training with the first team as well. It was a, a good season. Um, where United's main problem was defensive weakness. They scored a huge amount, um, but often conceded stupid goals and, and failed to see games up. But manager Neil Ryan was, was very pleased with the campaign and he has every reason to be. Um, his players have developed brilliantly and that, that is the job for, for the United Academy. Greenwood was named Youth Team Player of the Year. He scored 15 goals in, in 13 matches for the under-18s and 30 overall for the 18s, 19s and 23s. And incredibly, Jack, he'll still be eligible to play for the under-18s next season, um, but that won't be happening. He made his debut against, not his debut, he made um, his, his start, uh, first start in the Premier League against Cardiff. Um, he, he's one of the most exciting things about next season. Yeah, yeah. before we started this episode, we were talking about expectations for next season, and, and we'll come on to that more at the end. 
and Greenwood was immediately the person that springs to my mind because I knew he was a talent before that. I've watched probably since since Greenwood has been a fixture in in the under twenty threes. I've watched probably more of that team than I ever have before because I'm so excited about potentially what um, what Greenwood will have to offer. But seeing him in the first team against Cardiff was so, so exciting because he, he looked great. I mean, he did not look out of place at all. He was the one player going forward that seemed to have absolutely no fear. He was unlucky not to get two or three goals in that first half. If it wasn't for some great saves by Etheridge, he also hit the woodwork as well. You know, he, he, he looks like a, a great talent and the, the big stage did not didn't phase him at all. That was really the first time we've seen him come on and have it and a, and a long period of time, you know, obviously playing the foot, the, uh, sorry, starting the game. All of his other performances have just been sort of 10, 15 minutes here and there at the end of, of matches. So to see him play like that from the start, all right, not against a great Cardiff side, but, you know, at the same time, it's still the Premier League, it's still his home debut. And so I, Greenwood is massively exciting. And I think that, like you said, is definitely one of the, mo- the most important parts of next season, is making sure that him and Chong and Garner get get some good development and good experience in the first team. Yeah, the other standout players of the season were uh, Dylan Levitt, who's Jimmy Garner's midfield partner. They've been playing together in the academy for about 10 years already. Um, Garner's often been given more attention, but Levitt's done fantastically. He's carried the 18s at times. He controls the play in the central areas, provides a few goals and, and was nominated alongside Greenwood for, for player of the year. Um, in the FA Youth Cup, United had some great moments, but ultimately failed in a in a year where they could have finally got their hands back on the trophy. Um, United beat then reigning champions Chelsea in a, a crazy game that finished 4-3, but were then beaten by Brighton and Hove Albion in one of the biggest shocks of the tournament. It was a, it was a disappointing moment in an overall good campaign without silverware, but it was that. It was being knocked out of the FA Youth Cup again after a few bad years in the competition, particularly when Chelsea had been knocked out, Spurs, Arsenal a few others, um, it was it was a chance to finally win it again. Now, the under-23s, Manchester United remain in the second division of Premier League 2. That's a big disappointment. The club doesn't put too much emphasis on results of their young teams, but under-23 level, just before the first team, the players have got to be facing the very best of their counterparts, which does not happen in the second division, obviously. Ricky Sprague's side looked set for promotion, but ended up sixth after a poor back end of the season, mainly caused by the lone departures of Ethan Hamilton, Zach Durnley, um, and a few others. Chong and Gomez scored six each as top goal scorers and Chong won player of the year. Greenwood played well when at this age level scoring his debut in October but Jack um, on Chong and Gomez um, a little bit older than Mason Greenwood um, 18 and 19 uh, respectively Gomez 18 Chong 19. Um, th- Chong's been getting a, a few more chances than Gomez and Gomez uh, almost two years to the day since he replaced Wayne Rooney and, and made his Premier League debut and uh, both of them, you'd think, would be having to make significant progress next year. Yeah, and there's been some reports about Angel Gomez potentially wanting to move on from United because of a lack of first-team chances. I'm not sure how much truth is actually in those rumours, but it wouldn't surprise me because it, it does seem like he's been sort of shifted out of the picture a little bit for what I can see is no no big reason. He, he hasn't done anything particularly wrong. The, the very few chances he has had in the first team, he hasn't. I mean, he hasn't looked amazing, but he hasn't looked terrible at all. He's still playing well for the youth team. And it's worth remembering that he was the one that was captain in the England side, the England youth side that had the likes of Jaden Sancho in it. He was the one captain in that side. He is a very, very good player. Very good player. And he deserves some chances in the first team to prove that he can make that step up. The only real worry about him is his his physical stature. He's very short and not particularly strong. But his technical ability 
is so good that I think he's he is able to overcome his his sort of physical limitations on the ball. That he one hundred percent deserves more chances next season. Whether that comes in in sort of I don't want to say nothing games, but sort of the the, the typical games where you blood blood youngsters like in the League Cup or early rounds of the FA Cup, you know that, that's probably more realistic for him. But wherever the wherever the opportunities come, he needs to be getting those opportunities because he is a great talent, and we can't afford to be you know not giving him the right opportunities, and then he ends up leaving to go to a different club in England or or some club out out in Europe. Yeah, and I have to say I was I was slightly disappointed at the end of the season about the lack of chances for for Gomez, and we did see Greenwood, we did see Chong, but um, um, I, I felt like the last five or six games of the season we should have seen much more of Chong, Garner, Greenwood, Gomez, O'Connor, um, and, and various others. Now United made it into the. I was disappointed on a whole the... actually that especially against Cardiff there weren't more youth players being played against Cardiff. We couldn't get top four. We were pretty much guaranteed sixth place. I don't know why we were playing so many established first-team players. That was a great chance to, to give some youngsters a great opportunity. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, United made it into the knockout rounds of the Premier League International Cup. Um, a, a big 3-0 win against PSG in, in that competition with Stop, Scott McTominay lending a hand to the under-23s, but they lost to Reading in the quarterfinal. Next season's team should be a very good one, with Levitt being promoted to join Chong, Garner, Greenwood, Gomez, O'Connor, Traore, Burkhart... Um, if they are not on loan or in the first team. Um, and Ethan Laird is a, is a big prospect for Manchester United, the left-back who's been injured recently, and that's why he hasn't been getting first-team chances, but he would have been. Solskjaer's name dropped him on a, on a number of occasions. I think Mourinho mentioned him a couple of times, um, and United have a, a genuine desire to see Ethan Laird get big, big first-team opportunities over the next two seasons and become a, a first-team player um, at full-back. So that's, that's another exciting one to think about. Um, now, as you would have heard already, United made a fantastic return to women's football as they finished champions of WSL2, or the Women's Super League, the second division with ease. Um, the club chose to start in the second division in their first season to allow um, what is a, an entirely new team to, to gel under new manager Casey Stoney. Um, and the club appear to have, have set up the women's team in, in a very good way, and it's all gone very smoothly, unlike other parts of uh, the organisation, should we say. Um, United romped to the title, racking up particularly huge wins at the start and, and not conceding for their first few games. They finished nine points clear eventually um, in first champions with a goal difference of, of 91 um, from 20 games, which is astonishing. They were knocked out of the Continental Cup by Arsenal in the semi-final and by Reading in the FA Cup. Lauren James was one of the standout players, a young midfielder, and so was Alex Greenwood, who has no relation to Mason Greenwood. Um, the biggest win of the season was right at the start against Aston Villa when they hit 12 without reply in the league, which is astonishing. Next season will be tougher, but there is a lot of optimism to be had. Now, moving on to our low knees. Um, it's been a good end of the season for various um, players from United who are out on loan. Dean Henderson, we'll start with him, the goalkeeper. He was voted Young Player of the Year at promoted Sheffield United, adored by the fans all throughout the season and likely to stay at the club next year in the Premier League before returning to Manchester United, a superb goalkeeper and genuinely could replace David De Gea in the future or uh, replace Romero or Lee Grant. We'll see what happens this summer. Um, Axel Twanzeber reached the Championship Playoff Final with Aston Villa. That will be played at the end of May. He's had an immense season, has his own song at Villa Park. Fans love him and he should be in the United first team next season. He's learned from John Terry. Um, he's been coached by a couple of different managers, but eventually managed to keep his first team place come the end of the season and has started in some massive games. So a great move and a much needed good loan move for Axel Twanzeber. So hopefully we'll see a lot of him next season. 
Regan Pool, another central defender, reached the League Two playoff final with Newport County again. That will be played at the end of May. He scored uh, in the penalty shootout in the semi-final with Newport, um, who he, he joined United from, uh, I think, three or four years ago now. Ethan Hamilton, uh, moving into midfield, joined Rochdale in January and started scoring for fun early on. Has done very well there. James Wilson, uh, he joined Aberdeen at the start of the season, has had injuries, um, but played a fair bit in the end, 23 times in the Scottish Premiership, but only three goals and two assists, and doesn't look like James Wilson will be having a United career. Um, there's a few who are unlikely to return to United. Borthwick Jackson, um, his United career is probably over, uh, played regularly in League One for Scunthorpe United, but unlikely to, to make it at United. Matty Willock only played 11 times for Crawley Town, and Joel Pereira, um, who still has a chance of making it at United, only played five games in a, a loan move in Belgium. Um, a terrible season for him in terms of first-team opportunities. Two loans, one to Belgium, one to Portugal, and both very uh, very sparse in terms of opportunities. So that's unfortunate and, and disappointing. And then there's been some injury issues. Demi Mitchell was playing very well at Hearts in the Scottish Premiership before a season-ending knee injury. And Timothy Fossimenza was playing somewhat regularly at Fulham before a knee injury as well. Kieran O'Hara... Um, another goalkeeper was part of Macclesfield's Great Escape under Sol Campbell, played 37 games in the league. And Zach Durnley, Joy Dolden, and has played under three managers, I think, since joining in, in, in January, including Paul Scholes, um, and scored once in nine games. So overall, some very good loan moves for United players uh, over the last season or so, um, which we don't always get to say. So uh, very good for, for Dean Henderson and Axel Twanzebe in particular. Now let's talk about um, some transfers. We are getting into transfer season, into silly season, um, but we, we better be reasonably quick about this. We've got a few questions. The current state at United to be depressing, Jack, is that we have a goalkeeper that could leave. We've got no solid right-back, no consistent centre-back partnership, a slightly above-average left-back, a defensive midfielder past his prime, the, our first choice right central midfielder has left um, in Ander Herrera. The left central midfielder in Popper could leave and all six of our main attackers are incredibly inconsistent. So there, there are some problems there as we go into uh, the transfer window, which closes before the start of the Premier League season on August 8th, I think. Yeah, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago in that how many of, a, of the current players who have been playing this season would you say are guaranteed to not only be at the club next season, but guaranteed to be starters. For me, the only ones that you'd probably say are Luke Shaw and Marcus Rashford. And perhaps Victor Lindelof as well. And Lindelof, yeah, of course, yeah. I, I think those three are, are pretty and much it. strangely, I would, I would say Nemanja Matic as well, probably, even though he should probably be replaced. I think looking at next season... I mean, season, at the club, like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure he'd be a guaranteed starter, though. I, or I guess it depends on who we possibly, sign, yeah. but I think... Yeah, yeah. I think those three, Shaw, Lindelof and Rashford, are probably the only ones there's not a question mark about. And so that yeah. pretty much says it all about where we are as a squad at the moment in terms of both the uncertainty around players that we want to keep, like Pogba, like, I, I was going to say De Gea, but I, I think the majority of fans do still want De Gea to stay. or And also the amount of players that we need to ship out, like Ashley Young, like Chris Smalling, like Phil Jones. You know, so many players like that that need to be that need to be shipped out that we should have got rid of a long time ago. There is so much work to do over the summer, both in terms of outgoings and incomings, and also making sure that we tie up the players that sort of are maybe eyeing up a move that we don't want to leave. The the big one being Paul Pogba. Yeah, um, I've, I'm going to start with a question from Josh Hellowell. He says, "Is it time to stop going for big name signings, spend a couple of years around six, and bring some youth into the squad?" He, he mentions Chong Dallow and talks about bringing in a couple of young central midfielders and, and, and centre-backs. Now, 
this um, before answering this kind of more specifically United have signed I think just over 25 players since Alex Ferguson retired now either United have been extremely unfortunate and signed 25 players all of whom have some kind of weakness are complacent are complacent and can't lead a dressing room or there's something wrong with the culture at the club that brings players down because when Shaw arrived he was on his way to being the best left back in the world Pogba has led France at a World Cup but can't seem to do the same at United Lindelof has improved now but was previously bossing it for Sweden while looking like a clown at United Fred has taken Champions League games by the scruff of the neck for Shakhtar but not for United Alexis has previously torn the Premier League to bits but not for United Lukaku the same um, Mkhitaryan with the Bundesliga player of the season twice Di Maria was seen as one of the best players in the world at Real Madrid but not at, at United and even someone like Darmian can perform for Italy but not for United and, and going even further back Wilfred Zaha needs, needs no explanation so I think one of the big things for United is, is focusing on creating a system at, at the club um, with Oregon and Solskjaer who we think even though we have some reservations about him will there's no doubt that he will be Manchester United manager next season is creating social system and finding players to suit that now the worry is that most clubs plan their summer transfer business in January United haven't had the chance to do that and probably haven't done that given what we know about about the current state of the club at, at the top level you're 100% right that, every, that the reason why so many of those 25 signings have turned out terribly is because of the, the culture of the club we don't quite know exactly what that culture is but there is an absolutely no way that 25 players, whether they, they are established world-class players, whether they're young players coming in for their first opportunity, whether they're squad players coming in to, to fill a certain rotation role, every single one of them pretty much, except maybe three or four, have come in and have all fallen ill of this sort of culture of complacency and of, of just not improving at all once they get to United. Now, obviously, a big part of that is down to the coaching and that maybe maybe that the the coaching isn't good enough and I think that has been a big part of it but the culture of the club needs to be changed it needs to be sorted out in terms of of the summer and what we need the first thing we need is to make sure that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is one on board with all of these transfers and two he is involved heavily in the process of figuring out who the main targets are and what the main priorities for the summer are because we cannot go through another another summer of trying to sign players that we think you know, are good in whatever team they play for without actually wondering if they fit into the system that we're trying to play. Solskjaer needs to set out his vision for the club and the, the vision that he wants to play and we have to make sure that we back him 100%. We did it with Mourinho last season and although maybe that now looks like a, a decent decision based on the, the, how quickly we sacked Mourinho, I said at the time, if you have a manager... You have to believe in him 100%. You have to back them 100%. Because if you don't, and if you don't trust them, why do you still employ them as your manager? So despite how bad the form has been recently, despite our reservations about Solskjaer's manager, he is our manager. He will be our manager at the start of next season. And as a result, the board have to back him 100%. They have to involve him in transfers and they have to make sure they are listening to him when he lays out his priorities, both for the types of players that he wants the positions that he wants players in and the exact players that he needs. Yeah, um, and I agree with Josh in that the big thing for, for United this summer is we don't want to go for Gareth Bale. We don't want to go for, for Dybala. That, that, the big name being linked with United at the moment is Dybala for 70, 80 million. 
Now, Dybala is a very good player, but he will paper over the cracks. He'll score some goals. He'll probably get 10 or 15 in the league. But he won't allow United to develop properly and to, to transform this club in, into title challenges again and title winners again. Um, so, yes, it's, it is time to stop going for big name signings. That doesn't mean you can't sign people who are big names. It means you genuinely consider who you need. Um, what do United need? Give me three positions. I'm going to go with... Um, a centre-back, a right-winger and a central midfielder, if you had to limit it to three. Pretty hard to argue with those. Um, they're, they're the three most obvious needs for me. The only, the only other one that I would say is, is right-back. Uh, yeah. Whether we need a, whether we need a, a starting right-back or a rotational right-back behind Darlow, I'm not sure, but we definitely, definitely need at least one. Well, and to be fair, that could potentially be, be filled by by Fossey Mensah, although I think he's better at centre-back than right-back. And we still don't know whether he's going to be kept on at United next season. But yeah, for me, the three obvious ones are centre-back, right-mid and, and centre-mid. And realistically, that's what we've been saying for the last three years. <laughs> you know, we just never, we've never, yeah. never filled those needs. We have about 84 left-wingers and no right-wingers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely no balance or, and, or consistency, something we mentioned in, in part one of the episode. Um Inconsistency with United's United transfers. The key is to bring. At least in a we're couplet. consistent about mentioning inconsistency. <laughs> True, I think the key for United is to bring in a number of um, young players, probably three young players, that are going to cost anywhere from twenty-five to fifty million pounds, uh, which seems ridiculous, but such is the the current market. Uh, who are very good, have the potential to improve a lot, um, and fit. Oregon and Solskjaer's system, which we assume is going to be something along the lines of, of a reasonably high-intensity pressing side who look to counter-attack, which is what United were playing before uh, the injuries against Liverpool. Now, in addition to that, I think United need one big player who is a leader, probably a centre-back, um, possibly a midfielder. Who knows? Depends what they're looking for. But United do need a leader. And that could also be a 25 million Toby Alderweireld, who isn't necessarily this massive leader, but is someone who can bring some stability to Manchester United's defence. Those United need to be looking for the right characters as well as the right players. And United need to really think: what, if if we're if we're paying 80 million for a player, you've got to think why. Is are they going to change the the team entirely? Because there's players like Toby Alderweireld for 25 million, uh, like Hakim Ziyech from Ajax for apparently only 25 million. Uh, even Thomas Partey, who I don't really want to sign, um, would only cost around 40 million. There are these players out there who are good value for money. It's not the case, as Sir Alex Ferguson once said, that there's no value in the market. There is value in this market. Um, and every other club manages to find it. Sadio Mane at Liverpool, Mo Salah at Liverpool. Um, City with... Uh, Bernardo Silva paying a lot of money but for someone who was worth it they, they City's club record signing is, is Riyad Mahrez for around £60 million that's the way to do it There is value in the market of course there is the, the, the key for me is going is going after players that only have a year or two left on their contracts that's the way that you find value in this market and also trying to sign players on a free at the end of their contracts as well as we're about to see with Ander Herrera leaving because we didn't manage to, to secure his contract for me, I think signing young players with the potential to improve is is a big thing because I agree with Josh that there is no point in us going out and trying to sign massive, massive players because realistically we aren't we aren't really in a position where those players are going to be able 
to give us enough to to win the title. And it's just not going to happen. The only the only thing I would say about signing so many young players is I do think we need some older, more established players who can come in and give us some leadership. But like you said, they have to be good characters as well. The position I think it makes the most sense to do this in is right back because Darlow is on the verge of being good enough to start at right back. Although I'm not sure he's quite consistent enough yet. There we go again, talking about consistency. I'm not sure he's quite consistent enough yet to to start every single game at right back. And it makes sense to me to buy it, to get someone in who is a little bit older, probably only has a couple of years left playing at a high level, but is of very, very good character and is able to teach Darlow the ins and outs of playing at right back and then allow Darlow in a year or two to fully take over as right back when hopefully they've learned a lot from whoever comes in and, re- and replaces him. Exactly who that person is, I'm, I'm not sure. The kind sure. of person we need is, is Zlatan Ibrahimovic of, of three years ago. Is someone who will both perform yeah, and exactly. add so much to the dressing room. And I think we miss Zlatan Ibrahimovic more than we ever, we ever knew we would. He came in and he made Pogba better, he made the rest of the squad better, he brought people up with, with his level, even as an injured player. Um, now, on, on the subject of Pogba, um, Josh again says selling Pogba would be the right thing to do even though he's our best outfield player. Or do you believe if we go down the path of young players, maybe he can lead them to their best? Now, the thing with Pogba is it would be... I understand why so many Manchester United fans really, really dislike Paul Pogba. I get it because his attitude is, clearly has problems. Um, there are clearly problems uh, that he creates in the dressing rooms and he doesn't perform well enough. He often... Uh, there was that clip at the Cardiff game where he just stopped running at all and, and just stood there while United conceded to relegate to Cardiff. It's a problem. At the same time, United can't expect to sell Paul Pogba and seriously maintain their team as a potential title challenger. United cannot improve by selling Paul Pogba. Now, if United managed to sell, sell him for £160 million, and invest that in the right way. But I have no faith that the United board will invest that in the right way. So if United had a great board who could reinvest that in four players, as Liverpool managed to do, and, and improve the team in a number of positions, then yeah, sure, sell Paul Popper, even though I love him and think he's a, a fantastic player. But I don't have the confidence to do that. So for me, you've got to keep Popper, keep him central to the side. And yeah, he probably would help young players um, if, we, if that's the kind of players we're going to sign. For me, for me, there's no question about selling Pogba. We just shouldn't do it. And I know there's a lot of people that would disagree with me on that. I know that myself and, and, and you, the two of us, are very much pro-Pogba and a lot more pro-Pogba than most people are. But for me, selling Pogba doesn't make any sense because, like you said, even though we could get a lot of money for him currently, I don't trust our board to reinvest it in the right way. And so what's the point? We're, we're eff- effectively just getting rid of our best outfield player to... For, for for basically what I think will end up being no gain. We're not going to get anything out of it because the board won't probably won't reinvest the money in the right way if they inve- reinvest it at all. And then we've just put got got rid of our best player and probably just ended up getting becoming a far worse team. I think the the important thing is that Pogba Pogba is not the kind of player that should be expected to be a leader, right? Not I think there's this there's this big conflation that a lot of football fans have that every great player is a leader. And that's just not the case. Yes, a lot of them are great leaders too. But look at Lionel Messi. Do you think Lionel Messi is a great leader? Personally, I don't. 
I think Messi is a leader by example, not a leader by his character. You know, he, he is a great leader because he is that good that it doesn't really matter what he says. He doesn't have to say anything. He he can galvanise people around him just by being so good. Pogba isn't a leader on the pitch. And that's okay. Not every player in a team is going to be a leader. That's why you need leaders so bad to lead other people. And it seems like at the moment we're so reliant on Pogba because he is so much so much better than any other outfield player that we have, especially in, in an attacking sense. And I truly believe that he is on a vastly different level to any other outfield player that we have. And because of that, we rely on him to not only be our best outfield player, but also be our leader and be our talisman. And that isn't that isn't what he what he is, that isn't his role. You look at the French side, there are so many leaders in that French team that he doesn't need to be that leader. You know, we, we saw him actually display some leadership in uh, with the clips of him in the dressing room before the France game. And that was probably the first time that I've ever seen Pogba display any kind of tendencies of being a leader. And it's okay that he's not. We just need to recognise that and not place so much of a burden on him to be a leader. And that's why I said it's so important that as well as signing those young players, we need to sign some more experienced players that can come in and set the tone in the dressing room. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and on the subject of player power, um, Stuart Lambert says, this group of players has seen off three managers. So Ole Gunnar Solskjaer needs backing against player power, um, which I also think is, is an important point um, and one to remember over, over the next few, few weeks and few months. Um, a few quickfire questions. Um, I'm going to say some names uh, and you say yes if you want to sign them. No, if you don't. Uh, so, Jaden Sancho. Yes, I want him. Yeah, in agreement. Uh, Declan Rice. No. Yeah, I can agree. Aaron Wan-Bissaka, I think we're both going to say yes. Yeah. Uh, Adrian Rabiot. Although, been... I would say, say Wan-Bissaka, sorry, I'm getting rid of the quick fire aspect of this <laughs> after three. Wan-Bissaka, I am, I would, I would be a lot less annoyed if we weren't if we didn't get Wan-Bissaka than I would be if we didn't get Sancho because the only problem with getting Wan-Bissaka although I think he is considerably better than Darlow at this moment is that it would stump Darlow's Darlow's development yeah Adrian Rabiot has been linked by David Ornstein who suddenly started covering United for some reason which is interesting but Adrian Rabiot yes as a short-term option yeah I'd probably just about agree but then that's dependent on whether Pogba stays or goes I guess um, Toby Alderweireld. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty others we could go through, um, but just wanted to see that. All right. Another quick fire question: Where where will Manchester United finish next season? Fifth. Fifth. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be more pessimistic and say sixth. <laughs> um, but if United finish sixth for the next two seasons, we're in for a great season, in... boys and girls. Jeez. <laughs> um, if United finish sixth for the next two seasons, having finished sixth this year as well, so three in a row, but then win the league. In the next um, in the next few years, in five years, let's say, then I won't mind too much. No, not at all, not at all. I would much rather us finish sixth for the next four years and then win the league than finish second every year. Yeah, what will be the starting eleven on the first day of the season? I'm, I'll I'll go first and say, De Gea, Young, Lindelof, Jones. That's not a good start. <laughs> sure, Matic, Pogba. Matic, Pogba, a new central midfielder. Don't know who that is yet. Um, and then Rashford, Lukaku, Lingard. God, yeah, that's a, that's, that's a worry. <laughs> um, and I can't even disagree with it that much. I think for me, I, I actually do... 
I actually do think we'll buy a new centre back. I really do. And I think it'll I don't know if it'll be Alderweireld, but I do think we'll buy someone new. I I unfortunately think Ashley Young will still be starting and probably as captain as well. Um so we'll, for me I'll go De Gea, Young, Lindelof, Alderweireld slash an, a different new centre back. Shaw, McTominay, Pogba, a new centre mid, potentially either Rabio or Party. Um, then I don't think we're going to get Sancho, but I think we might get Ziyech from Ajax. Yeah. Then Rashford and Rashford through the middle, and Martial on the left. I know, yeah, I I I partly say that for the first game of the season we'll stick mainly the same as last season because that's usually what tends to happen. You often see new signings that have been signed near the end of the deadline not play until like the second or yeah, third game. Yeah. I think United will sign a centre-back, I think we'll sign a midfielder, and I think we'll sign a right-winger. Whether those signings are good value for money, I really don't know. And I think we'll pay, we'll overpay them in terms of price, we'll overpay them in terms of wage, and I don't know whether they'll be the right players. I think the likelihood is United will sign four players this summer, and one of them will probably be turn out to be a good signing, because that's basically what, what's happened over the last few years. Uh, a quarter or maybe less of our signings have turned out to be good. Um, we, we've just kind yeah. of last thing for me I've got a quick fire question from you Harry that I've, I haven't prepared you for so God. do you think by the end of next season Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will still be United manager yes I think I think that we, we spoke in the intro um, I said are United too sentimental and that United probably are too sentimental to be successful at the moment and that includes giving managers too long and every time I will back the manager and I very rarely want us... I didn't want United to sack Van Gaal. I didn't want United to sack Marino until the very, very end. Um, and I think United have a tendency to probably give managers too long to prove themselves. I think that will probably happen with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, even though I'm desperate for him to be successful. OK, and then last one. Last one for me. I tend to agree with you, by the way. But last one from me. Which youth team player, if any, will make the ba- the, ba- the breakthrough next year? Not necessarily to start to starting every game, but to being a regular part of of the, you know, the either the starting eleven or or the subs. I think Mason Greenwood will play regularly. Uh, I think Teeth Chong probably won't play as much as people would like, and I think uh, we'll see the one the player we'll see that we haven't really seen before will be Ethan Laird, and Jimmy Garner and Greenwood will be the two who are regularly involved in in, in first team squads. Yeah, I think for me, I think would not surprise me at all to see Lukaku go off to Syria this summer and then Mason Greenwood playing a, a much, much bigger role next season. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, Mason Greenwood is, is a... It, there's so much talent in the United Two systems um, and that is something to be positive about. Um, we, we should wrap things up here because we've been recording for... I think almost two hours um, and my mouth is getting particularly dry uh, even though you're listening to this in, in two parts we've been recording this in one I part I think your so mouth being dry is that, probably just a, a product of, of that disgusting starting 11 you just you just said we're going to start the next season <laughs> with it's the fact I'd say Ashley Young all over again at least I didn't have to say Fellaini although I am missing the, the brilliantly haired Belgian giant um, but you just said he was our player of the season the, 20 minutes ago I know exactly <laughs> but he still brings me certain nightmares <laughs> Yeah. 
Right, um, we, we better wrap things up there for the second part of the Manchester United Week podcast season review. Um, that's that for the, the 2018-19 season. That's probably that for the uh, Series 4 of the Manchester United Week podcast. Um, uh, a season with, with some absolutely sensational highs, so let's not forget them. Um, and in fact, let's just, let's just remember them. We'll forget the lows, uh, forget the hardest field, the Cardiff, the Everton, and we'll remember Turin, Paris, Stamford Bridge, the Emirates, Wembley, and the, the complete and utter love and adoration we had for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his team in, in what was a truly magical three months at the start of what will hopefully end up as a successful Manchester United managerial career. But we'll see. Um, it's not all bad, but things definitely aren't great. It's time to forget all about it, find some way to disappear at the start of June while Liverpool play in the Champions League final. Um, I'm hoping to, I mean, I'm in Buenos Aires and I've booked a, a small trip down to Patagonia and a glacier for the, for the Champions League final day. And I'm hoping no one will be showing it or talking about it. So the rest of you can enjoy the summer and the sun um, and perhaps no football at all over the summer. Although United will probably be back quite early playing in the Europa League. Um, and we'll be back in the summer for Series 5 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Half a decade, Jack. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's crazy, crazy to think we've been going for that long, but it's been a lot of progress, a lot of very downbeat episodes. You know, one one of these years, Harry, we'll, we we'll, still we'll have seen a, United win the league. No, no, one of these seasons we'll have a a, a season where over half the episodes are actually positive. <laughs> well, it's, it'll be interesting when United are good again. If United are good again, because I think we just won't have that much to talk about. We need we need some some drama and some Fellaini's and Youngs to complain about, but um, we, we will be back for Series Five of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast, which will undoubtedly be interesting because United will probably be terrible again. So until then, it's goodbye from from me, Harry Robinson, and from Jack Tate too. Um, have a great few weeks until we're back. Cheers for listening as always, and leave us a review if you can. Um, enjoy the sun, enjoy the summer, and enjoy the sun. Uh, and we'll be back soon. Goodbye. Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over a hundred social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.